Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. Hail in the time appointed, his reign on earth begun. He comes to break oppression, to set the captive free, to take away transgression and rule in equity. Comes with succor speedy to those who suffer wrong, to help the poor and needy, and bid the weak be strong, to give them songs for sighing, their darkness turn to light, whose souls condemned and dying are precious in his sight. Grace and peace, and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. We're coming and creeping closer and closer to Christmas Eve, the arrival of a baby in a manger, but also thinking about the anticipation of the return of our future King, Jesus Christ, who reigns forever and ever. I'm delighted that you've decided to join us for worship today, whether you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube or watching later or however you are interacting with us in these strange ways and these strange days. Uh, we have a, a lot of things that are going on in the life of our church. We continue to send out uh, email devotionals. We re we're recording uh, live Facebook videos, uh, worship on Sundays, all that sort of stuff. I also want to share with you that we're going to be having two Christmas Eve services this year. On Christmas Eve, the 24th of December, we're going to have a drive-in service that will be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in our parking lot on Christmas Eve. And then at 7 o'clock, we're going to have an online service. It'll be on Facebook and YouTube uh, that everyone can watch from uh, the comfort of their homes or wherever you might find yourself at 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve. So put those two things on your calendar. If you live locally, you can join us for our 3 o'clock service. Uh, if you don't, you can join us at 7 o'clock. The services are going to be different, different scripture readings, different homily. Uh, so you can come to both uh, in whatever way you see fit. Uh, but again, it's Advent. It's a time of longing, of waiting, anticipation. It's really kind of the best time in church. So let's get to it. Let's worship the Lord 
in holy splendor. I encourage you to, uh, for a moment or two, uh, rest silently, uh, pray silently. Uh, and after we pray together silently, we're going to have our Advent candle lighting and reading. So let's pray silently for a moment. And all God's people say, Amen. Good morning, Pastor Mertens, Cokesbury family and friends. Please join us in the readings and the lighting of the second Advent candle. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Lord, as we light the second Advent candle, we pray for your unending comfort to rain down upon us. Speak a tender word about who we are and whose we are, such that in the end, every valley will be lifted up and every mountain made low. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Lord, have mercy on all of us, all of us today who are especially plagued, threatened, and haunted by so much foolishness. Enlighten the thoughts of those both in the east and the west and the south and the north, those who are in power and who as appears to be the case, are today in complete confusion and despair. Give the rulers and representatives of the people, the judges, the teachers, the bureaucrats, give even the media the insight and the sobriety that are necessary for their work. Place the right, necessary, and helpful and hopeful words on the lips of those who preach during Advent. Open then all the ears and hearts of those who hear them. Comfort and encourage all who are sick both in body and spirit, in hospitals, as well as prisoners, those who are distressed, abandoned, or despairing. Help them with what alone can truly help them in all of us, the clarity of your word and the quiet work of your Holy Spirit. And now, O Lord, each of us will lift up to you, silently or aloud, our own joys and concerns in prayer this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. I'll be reading from Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Now hear the word of the Lord. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that the warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, 
that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arms rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Our hymn today is number 213 in the United Methodist Hymnal, 213. It's Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the words, there's an online bulletin that you can use to reference them. Uh, otherwise, uh, join me over at the drums. I'll be playing and singing, and please join me in singing Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. voice cried out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
a hopeless situation. That's how she described herself while sheltering against the church building from the wind. Above her mask, I could see a a tiredness in her eyes, a tiredness that was further echoed in her story. No job, no family, no food, no money, no hope. Meanwhile, while standing outside talking to her, a van full to the brim with a family drove by, and even though all of their windows were up, we could still hear all of them singing at the top of their lungs, It's the happiest season of all. So I went back in the building and got some food, and I brought it to her. I offered to pray with her, and when she walked away, I couldn't tell if it made a difference at all. Can you imagine anything worse than being in a situation without any hope at all? Like being so strongly forced to the margins of life that there was no one you could call to bail you out, no family that would welcome you in, no hope that tomorrow would bring anything better than the current day. Hopelessness, it can derail individuals and families. And even though at this time of year we we light candles and we string up sparkly things and we decorate Christmas trees and we talk about hope in places like this, the sting of hopelessness, it can still hit harder than just about anything. God's people Israel, they knew hopelessness. During the Babylonian exile, the time in which Isaiah speaks this confounding word of comfort, they were a people who knew no comfort. Now, it's challenging for people like us today to imagine at all what that time was like for God's people, because they'd lost their homes, their nation, their possessions, their worship, their status, their roots, their stories, their identities. They lost everything. They were truly strangers in a strange land. They were swallowed up by their oppressors. They were compelled to adopt a way of life that ran counter to everything they had known before. They were in a hopeless situation. And to make matters worse, the Lord of their ancestors, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Lord had commanded them again and again to take no other gods save for the Lord God. It's their idolatry, their wanton disregard for the commandments that resulted in their own exilic punishment. To put it plainly, they brought it upon themselves. And they were hopeless to do anything about it. And it's here, precisely here, to a hopeless people that God speaks these words through Isaiah, comfort Oh, comfort my people. Speak kindly to them. Remind them that the penalty for their sin has been paid. A voice is crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. The valleys will be lifted up. The hills will be brought low. God's divine leveling is coming to fruition. God's glory will be revealed to all so they can see what God can do. A voice cries out, people are like grass. They wither and float away, but God stands forever. So do not fear. God is coming with might. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he shall carry them in his bosom. Chances are, some of us are familiar with at least part of this passage, part of the proclamation from the pulpit, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. We might be familiar with those words because we hear them every Advent in reference to John the Baptist, who, spoiler warning, prepares the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist, J the B, as I like to call him sometimes, he was no ordinary fellow. He's alarming, coming straight out of the desert dressed in animal skins while eating insects and yelling about repentance. And according to Mark's gospel, it is precisely J the B showing up on the scene in ancient Palestine that marks the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
You know, Jay the B, he's never been fully understood, and for good reason. He shows up out of nowhere. And before we really get to learn much of anything about him, he's beheaded for crimes against the state. For 2,000 years, he stood as this kind of unknowable figure, right in the midst of Advent. With the strange sense of fashion and bewildering diet and discomforting theology, he's completely out of sync with his age, our age, and just about every age. Advent, for better or worse, is a time set apart in the church when we make a conscious effort to recover some of the strangeness from the strange new world of the Bible. And John, J. the B., he embodies it all. Because like him, Advent is peculiar. It's out of sync with just about everything else, and particularly with time. As we talked about last week, Advent is the time between time. It's about the already but not yet. It's the pause between the once and the future king. To put it in musical terms, Advent is God's great sesura. Do you know what that is? If you don't, let's go over to the drums for a second. Maybe I can demonstrate for you. A caesura is a musical term for a moment in a song where everyone who's performing, whether it's an individual or an entire orchestra, they all stop. Uh, It's denoted by two diagonal slash marks above the music staff. Uh, It's a moment where, truly, it's, it's a very powerful thing where everything stops, and in that stoppage, there is an anticipation of what is to come while thinking about what has just come from before. So I'm going to give you an example of it. In the hymn that we were using earlier, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you, you can change it a little bit so that between the verse and the refrain, uh, there can be a caesura, a stoppage, where everything stops, and in that most brief moment of pause, Uh, You can take with it everything you were hearing, but knowing how it's going to sort of resolve itself, how it's going to continue in the refrain, there's that expectation, that excitement that's in that caesura. That is what Advent is for us. So I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to do the first verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel into the refrain, and I'll stop so you can kind of hear uh, the caesura. Come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O That is a caesura. Back to the sermon. Anyway, the, the best parts of Advent are those that give us the courage and the conviction to rest in the tension of who we are and what God has done for us in spite of who we are. And we take time Sunday after Sunday to look straight toward the darkness into which and for which Jesus arrives. Advent, in a way, is actually a lot more like Lent than we often make it out to be. It's a time for us to take stock of who we really are in order to come to grips with what is that Jesus does for us. J. the B. arrives. He's, he's confused for Elijah, proclaiming a baptism for the repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> he does so to take a hint from Isaiah to prepare the way of the Lord. 
There's apparently something about recognizing the condition of our own condition that enables God to do the work we so desperately need because all of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we are all hopeless cases. We can't fix what's wrong in us on our own. Now, it takes quite the Christian constitution to affirm the truth of those words and Isaiah's words that we are like grass and flowers that wither and blow away. It's because sin isn't just something we do. Sin is who we are. In ways big and small, we regularly, like the Israelites before us, we rebel against the law of God. We insist on laying down at the altars of countless idols. We are forever determined to be the masters of our own destinies. I mean, just look around. COVID cases spiking yet again. Economic uncertainty as jobs are not rebounding. Evictions are piling up as rents can't be paid. And there's no sign that any of it is going to slow down anytime soon. Obviously, some of this is out of our control, but some of it lies squarely with us in our unwillingness to, say, you know, love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, I know that it might not seem like it, but confessing our sins, it's actually very good news for us. There's a reason that Catholics have been doing it for millennia. There's documented psychological benefits to confessing our faults and failures. We literally release endorphins in our brains when we do so. But confessing our sins is also good for us because it places us squarely in an Adventine frame of reference. You know, light is only light because of the darkness that it shines in. Grace is only grace because it cancels out sin. Resurrection is only resurrection because it refuses to let death be the final word. That's a stark and frightening thing to admit, but it's part of the Christian witness. The message of John to a hopeless people, the message of Isaiah to an exiled people, it's better for us than all the trimmings and the trappings that the season usually holds. All the advertisements, the pressures, the assumptions, they only provide a shadow version of our own reality. That's not who we are. We're Christians. We're sinners. And we've come to worship today, albeit not in a way that any of us could have really imagined before the pandemic struck, but we've come to worship in some part because we know we need these words from Isaiah. We know we need these words from John more than we need the mall and the wrapping paper and the light shows and the curated Christmas playlists and the never-ending holiday-themed lifetime movie marathons. You know, we, we know we need these words from the prophets because we know we need Jesus And he's the only hope we've got. Without him, we're just a people in exile, stuck in a hopeless situation. But Isaiah and J the B, they show up to prepare us for the appearance of God's own self in the person of the Messiah. They remind us that God is active in this world in ways both seen and unseen, and that it is upon the work of the Lord that the universe hinges. But of course, we can't ignore that the passage tells us to prepare. And how can we possibly prepare? You know, it was one thing uh, to wander around during the days of J the B and find ourselves dunked in the Jordan River, repenting our sins. But we today, we're a people stuck in Advent between the once and the future king. We already know what awaits us in the manger, what awaits us in the empty tomb. So what then is the right response? How can we prepare for God showing up? The Beyonce of the Episcopal Church 
Fleming Rutledge. She makes the case that during Advent, we should keep the tune, Oh, Holy Night, stuck in our gray matter, because when God shows up, the only proper response is, Fall on your knees. Think about it. When the reality of God breaks in from on high, the only thing we can do is recognize the great chasm across which God chose and God chooses to traverse for us. When we see how God is God and we are not, we can't help ourselves but fall on our knees in reverence. You know, Jay the bee, he stands at the edge of time. He, in himself, he holds all the words of all the prophets while pointing to the one who transfigures the cosmos. John, like Advent, then looks not just to the birth of a baby in a manger, but also to the long-awaited day of the Lord when rectification reigns supreme. Because it's in Jesus, the once and future king, that the new day of righteousness is made incarnate. The old age of sin and death is crumbling away, and the coming kingdom of God is defined by a shepherd who gathers the sheep into his bosom. That's what J. the B. came to declare. Our deliverance is here. And how do we respond? We fall on our knees. Because God is going to level out all things. The mountains will come down. The valleys will be lifted up. Creation will be re-knit. And all of us along with it. Despite the language we might hear about in church about how it's our job to prepare the way of the Lord, God is doing this work regardless of whether or not we participate in the divine clearing project. And frankly, it's not going to be easy for people like us. Because God's work of divine leveling means laying ourselves open and vulnerable to a vision of reality that's God's will be done and not my will, not our will be done. It means living every moment of our lives in anticipation of God bringing down the mighty and lifting up the lowly. It means relinquishing our most cherished and therefore flawed understandings of what we have earned and what we have deserved. It means being ready to give up all of our privileges and all our advantages on behalf of those who are stuck in the valleys of life. This isn't easy. It's not easy for people who are drunk on our own self-righteousness. We don't like admitting our faults and failures. We don't like confessing our privileges and our advantages. We don't like repenting of our wrongdoings. But in the time in between time, what we call Advent, we can, with the help of the Spirit and the church, take a good hard look in the mirror and confess the condition of our condition. I mean, that's, that's how repentance works. It's a change of life, a reorientation, a reorientation. It's a metanoia, a turning back. And we can't turn without admitting we need to turn in the first place. But here's the good news. Even if we can't bring ourselves to look in the mirror, even if we can't bring ourselves to confess the truth, God is still in the business of making something of our nothing. You know, God, God does not desire the immense brokenness that is in the world, that's in our lives. God in Christ is reconciling all things to himself. The old age of sin and death was run by division and schism, but in God's kingdom, what we are preparing for and being prepared for, it's run on reconciliation, grace, and mercy. So here are the good news. My favorite thing that I get to say as a pastor, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, not before we were sinners, not 
after we were sinners, but right there in the midst of the worst thing we've ever done. And that proves God's love toward us. So in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The kingdom of God is near. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our God and Father, give to many, to all, and to us as well, that we might celebrate Advent like this, in complete thankfulness, with utter humility, and then complete joy and confidence, we may come to the one whom you have sent, in whom you yourself have come to us. So, Lord, clean out the many things in us that now the hour has come to be rid of that would be impossible for us and can no longer belong to us, may and must fall away from us by virtue of your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who enters in and always makes something of our nothing. And all God's people say, Amen. Uh, Just as God has gathered us together, God has proclaimed God's word, so too we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, uh, our tithes, our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, there is a drop slot by our main office doors. Uh, But give, give with glad and generous hearts that we might uh, continue to be a people who help show that there is hope in this world, that it's not in us, but it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you to now join me as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. With that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, the God of Advent, help you to see that there is a new hope, and his name is Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, One God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, to hear more about the adventures of God with God's people. Go in peace. Be well. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Jesse's tree.